Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. I've got the Rethink Energy team with me here. We're going to talk about the technology behind this week's energy news stories. I am CEO Peter White. We've got with us editor Bogdan Evermuta. Hello. Our solar analyst Andreas Fontenar. Hello. Our uh, uh, EV and battery analyst uh, Connor Watts. Hello. And Simon Thompson, our product manager. Hello. All the discussion today is based on stories we published last night on our weekly analysis subscription service. Uh, it does cost money to subscribe, but if you want to sample this service, by all means go to our website and I'm sure we can arrange to let you have one or two free issues. On this week's podcast, we do a solar quarterly count. This is for Q4 2022. And what a surprise, we find solar's accelerating even more aggressively than we thought. And so we're going to have to upgrade um, some of our uh, solar forecasts at some point. We also look at how the US Congress is trying to push the boat in the other direction and throw out the presidential moratorium, which suspended the Department of Commerce anti-dumping and countervailing duties for two years. And if they throw that out, how will they install any solar in the coming uh, 14 months? I don't know. So uh, we're going to look at that and whether that's going to happen. And finally, we're going to look at uh, how Chinese money is trying to take control of uh, African hydrogen production, which is destined for Europe. We have to see whether there's anything can be done about that. And finally, uh, Simon will ask questions about one or two of the short items. So, Andres, let's go to your Q4 numbers on solar and uh, take a look at them. So the, the big number, headline number, is the manufacturing figures, which I think I've published before in an article, but I, it, it pays to double-check them and find the latest uh, the latest data and, and then still come to exactly the same conclusion. So for Q4, 72 gigawatts installed, which brings us to 221 gigawatts for the whole year uh, by my calculations. And I also predict 330 gigawatts for next year, and then 520 gigawatts installed in 2024. Certainly at least 480. But, uh, you know, I, I was going through the, because it, it seems hard to believe 520, but that's really how many, that's almost how many they're manufacturing per month right now. And the price is high because demand is high. So, so if that's how much they're manufacturing and the price and demand are high, well, then they have to install it at some point. Probably. Yeah, I remember going all the way back to 2018 and being shocked that installs of solar in China had gone down because they'd taken away all the subsidies. Hmm. And we said, oh, well, it will recover in time. And that was about a quarter of this, the, these numbers. So, I mean, in, in uh, just just four short years, um, we've seen a massive increase. And now you're just saying, yes, more of the same. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's inescapable. I mean, quite a long section... Uh, where I where I justify those figures with uh, wafer manufacturing, polysilicon manufacturing. I think I remember to mention crucibles as well. But that you know that that's a sort of forecasting thing. This article is supposed to be more about what's actually just happened in Q4. So so one trend that you see this year is that Q4 itself is actually it's actually barely increased over 2020's Q4, and that's because of the shift from utility scale to rooftop in a lot of markets mainly China, also Vietnam is no longer around with uh, its Q4 skew. Uh, so a lot of markets that had this Q4 skew, mainly from utility scale, 
from rooftop in the case of Vietnam, they're no longer doing that. Their, their installs are spread out more across the year. Um, so that, that's that's a, yet another way of, of looking at the spread to DER, the, the, the skew to DER. I mean, there's just so many things. I, I almost don't know where to start in, in this whole uh, discussion. We've got some very well, nice... Let me, let me point you in the right direction. Uh, tell us which countries um, are growing the fastest. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's Brazil. It's China. Let me scroll down to the relevant graph, which might take a <laughs> a minute or two. Yeah, it's, it's China, Brazil, and actually the United Kingdom and Italy. Uh, if you look at growth over the previous year, UK installations were probably one or two gigawatts. I don't quite remember off the top of my head. And they're probably going to get stuck there, judging by that British company I spoke to the other day. And he said, well, we just can't recruit anyone. Uh, any any new installers, any new qualified electricians. And of course, this is an overwhelmingly a rooftop market, so it's very labor-intensive. Uh, Italy is not quite as skewed towards rooftop, but certainly the UK, I think, thanks to Brexit, has an especially constrained workforce. Italy has room for growth. Now, there's actually an interesting mixed bag, and I've just said everything's growing so rapidly. But as I went through and wrote about individual markets in the, for this piece, quite a few of them were actually shrinking even ones that grew over the whole year quite decisively, like uh, Poland and India, they still had a dip in the second half of the year. Now, in, in India's case, that was uh, just due to the shift from foreign, foreign imports to domestic manufacturing. Uh, in Poland's case, uh, I can't remember. I, I wrote it down, so I didn't have to remember. Yeah, well, I think it's because they, the, they changed the remuneration. Let's go, yeah. Let's go there. Let's go back to India, because... Yeah. We, we were talking maybe six months ago saying it's it a dreadful policy to uh, put tariffs on Chinese imports and at the same time have, you know, try to achieve record installations. And, and, and they're getting somewhere between the two somehow, aren't they? Yeah, I think on balance, India is actually squaring the circle fairly well. I mean, installations right now are a little bit disappointing, but it's still 17.5% growth. Uh, it's still up more than 50% from the, the sort of 2019 baseline before the pandemic. So, it, it, yeah, it is weak. But if you look at their manufacturing scale, um, not just modules and cells, but even wafers, um, I, I, it, it's going quite well. So they will actually, they, they have managed a relatively not too rocky transition. And it helped that they stockpiled a lot before April 2022 on imported modules. Well, if, if, if India can do it, perhaps... America can also. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and you wrote about that, didn't you? Uh, do we, yeah. Should we switch to that topic? Or? No, 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 let's just stay here a bit longer. I mean, the thing is, um, uh, the Italian numbers, I think we pretty much understand that um, Italy is still um, taking a while to build up its entrepreneurial uh, skills around solar installations because before 2018, it wasn't, uh, you couldn't put them on farmland. Um, so there, were, there was no utility scale. It was all, it was all uh, rooftop. But but Italy's obviously a couple of years in now. It's finding the investment and getting the hang of installing both rooftop and utility. So I mean that's what why that's growing so fast. It's got the sunshine. It, it was certainly um, it certainly continued to grow like that. We we expect. I was going to say, Andres, you make a note of the smaller countries in Europe um, because we, we don't actively track them. What, what, what do you think is going on there? Oh, it's just it's just that, you know, when I selected all of the markets to track, I, I chose the ones that already had activity uh, on a large scale. So um, 
so we cover so when we look at the growth in europe it would be deceptive to judge all of europe just by the individual markets we tracked um which already had activity because there the growth rate is always going to be less than 100 percent or less than 50 percent whereas in a place like austria switzerland sweden finland especially finland you can very easily go from a situation where you have zero activity to some activity. Well, how many, how much of a percent growth rate is that? Well, it's sort of infinite, you know? So, so that's why, that's why when you look at all the small countries and, and, and the easiest way to judge Europe's growth rate is just the, the imports of modules. Uh, that's why you get a much higher uh, figure than. And what, what, how many, um, how many gigawatts of modules imported into Europe this year? 86.6 gigawatts. Now, I previously said that, well, surely that means I have to install about 80 gigawatts um, in 2023 if they imported 86 gigawatts last year. I still sort of think that, but there, there's been some reports of stockpiling. Yeah, yeah, this is what I wrote. I said, well, there's been some reports of stockpiling, and surely they'll have a really hard time doubling to 80 gigawatts of installations because they'll have some congested grids, like in the Netherlands, which I think the Netherlands might be unable to install more than three or four gigawatts per year from now on uh, indefinitely because of its grid. Um, but that, so, so the, then the, I, grid only, the grid only prevents utility installations. People can install them in their own home uh, for as, as, long, as quickly as they want. I think it can obstruct rooftop, not completely, but it can, I think they can refuse grid participation. I, I saw something to that effect. It'd be worth checking. Yeah, well, the thing about G Germany in particular is because of its very high energy prices, it's, um, and it's the problems it's ha having weaning itself off of uh, Russian gas. Uh, people are really taking um, solar installations very seriously there on an individual level. And if someone said you couldn't attach it to the grid, they wouldn't care. They just use the, they just buy a battery and do self-use. So I think, I don't think you're going to find um, that it slows down in Europe at all. Uh, uh, yes, obviously, transmission is a problem. Um, it's a problem everywhere. I mean, I was looking at the the uh, the uh, I, I plotted the data from PV Infolink on their on monthly imports from Europe to to Europe from China, and 2021. You know, it's about the amount that you need to install 26 gigawatts in um, that year. And no, no, hang on. <laughs> 2020 was you know about 26 gigawatts. Then 2021, it's about 40 gigawatts. You know, it's, it's about the number that you get installed in the next year. And, and so I thought, well, yeah, OK, so there's some stockpiling and surely they'll have trouble installing even uh, 80 this year. And surely they won't be importing even more than that. And I looked at the, the module import figures and it's it, for January and February of this year, it's up to over eight gigawatts per month, which um, what does that annualize to at least? Um, well, it annualizes to about 100 gigawatts. But if you look at when the modules are imported during the year, Fewer are imported at the end and the beginning of each year, and most of the module imports into Europe happen in the middle of the year. So probably you're looking at 120 gigawatts imported this year. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think that's right, and I think that's gonna gonna carry on. Okay, so you know, in summary, pretty much everywhere is breaking records in solar installations. We, we are the largest forecast on record. We did a, a, a forecast halfway through last year. We're going to have to revisit that. It's way under what's actually happening, and so and, and so being the largest forecast on record, every other forecaster on the planet is getting it wrong 
by a huge margin. And solar developers don't trust other forecasters. They trust their own instincts and their own ability to buy. They need this kind of information. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. You're absolutely right. We did, uh, you know, meanwhile, in America, in the land far, far away, we're actually looking at the possibility, although I think neither you or I think it's much of a possibility, that the American Congress, using the the, uh, uh, Congressional, uh, I've forgotten the name of the act, the CRA. Review Act. The Congressional Review Act, yeah. They're going to review the decision made by Joe Biden to put a two-year moratorium on the Department of Commerce decision to to put punitive tariffs on uh, on any US solar imports which contain Chinese technology and and mostly they were looking at six Asian countries. We don't really believe that that's going to happen. We think that the um, the SEIA numbers that came out and the, the variety of numbers which showed that the solar industry collapsed 12 months ago um, because uh, this was all announced. Um, People, US politicians will be able to see that and will be able to realise that if they vote for this, um, they're going to, someone's put a number of a billion dollars in losses, 30,000 jobs, withdrawal of 4.2 billion of investment into uh, domestic solar projects. I think it's bigger than that, (laughs) judging on last um, so, so I think if if this was repealed, I, I think there's there's a longer story here that you've got about 14 months of the two years left. In that time, we're supposed to see everybody source their own solar panels from um, from non-Chinese sources and mostly from American sources. That's almost impossible, and it won't be done in the 14 month time frame. There's bound to be a dip in installations anyway. So if this goes through, there's just going to be a two-year dip, uh, and it'll almost destroy the solar industry in in America. So I, I kind of think that even the the startup that that started the whole um, duties problem uh, in Oxin Solar, who who made their complaint to the Commerce Department, even they would suffer from it because people would, yes, yeah, for a short time you could. Um, charge what you like for solar panels, but then people would just move away from the technology. Uh, this is one of those stories where you, you, you make all the effort to write about something, and then by the end of it, you start to have doubts about whether it's still relevant, because I don't believe this will get passed. I, I saw analysis that the president has to sign it under the Congressional Review Act. Well, obviously, he won't. I don't think you can have a Congressional Review Act overseeing um, presidential decrees, I've mm. never really understood, you know, the presidential review. Act I, I is, think it's because the the president act like instructed the Department of Commerce. I so see. The, so the I Congress see. can then it can. Yeah. So it's meant to be a, a, an overview of, of government departments deviating from congressional um, intent, um, and then being able to say no, that's not what we meant. It's meant to be a correctional facility to to stop things getting interpreted incorrectly by government departments. So you're right, the Department of Commerce may have interpreted it, the ruling from the president incorrectly, but even so, I'm sure he could issue a, a presidential decree. I think that this is a, this is possibly a non-story, but right now, if you're a developer in America, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, I'll go ahead and install these panels, but if, if it turns out they came from 
Malaysia via China, I'm going to get a 250% um, taxation um, levied on me. I, I think I just won't install them. I'll stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it can be retroactive. So it's a it's a real threat. You can't just say, threat. oh, it probably won't happen and carry on. You have to know whether it will happen or not now. So and, you and- must stop. So the next quarter figures for America, right up until this vote, everyone's just going to suspend all activity. Do you think this could turn into a, a political football with the, the presidential election race, which is next year, I think, 2024, which is sort of looming? I think it already is a political football. I think this is an attempt to damage the Inflation Reduction Act by the Republicans so that they want to bring a, a load of power to bear to prevent solar being successful in America um, because they would prefer fossil fuels to win out in America. I looked at two of the early bills um, that were submitted in Congress and and Senate and each of them back in January and February, I think they actually uh, sort of died on the vine uh, and got revived later on. But each one was submitted by a a Republican from Florida uh, for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, the, the claims... we don't want any elect dirty solar here. Let's burn coal. The, yeah, this I'm, this I'm idea sure. that it's it's serving, that they're doing it to protect solar manufacturing. I mean, that's kind of true in Auxin's case. But, you know, having a having these anti-dumping and countervailing duties would, of course, protect, protect manufacturers themselves, notwithstanding what you were saying about it sabotaging the broader industry. But the idea that just the 14th, 14 month moratorium on the tariffs is a problem for manufacturers, that's nonsense, because it's going to take more than that period of time to even set up the factories. So this is this really is just a kind of sabotage. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, and anyway, Inflation Reduction Act is set up to bolster manufacturing of solar in America. Yeah. So so why would you try and sabotage that? It's it, uh, on, the, on the basis of protecting a solar company. Uh, so, but but politics is not logical. Um, in America, some groups will partner other groups will partner other groups just to get their agenda through, and um, that's when you you find you find all sorts of strange bedfellows in American politics. I'm not going to pretend to be uh, an expert on uh, whether or not these things can go through. It would make no sense, but that's happened before. But let's just hope it doesn't, because uh, otherwise it sets the industry back. But worse, it sets back the American economy. If if they are the only major economy which can't install solar for two years, how how much, you know, uh, that's pretty much the end of uh, Biden's term in office. Um, You know, what's the next president going to do? And if it's a Republican president, what kind of disaster can they conjure up to be anti-solar? Uh, it could be the end of the solar industry in America if they pull this off. Let's hope not. Let's move on. So, Bogdan, I got the impression from the headline that China's trying to fund its way into uh, uh, Africans' uh, uh, hydrogen creation, especially that which is destined for European markets. Yes, basically the news is that China Energy Engineering Group is developing a um, green hydrogen and green ammonia plant in Morocco. And this announcement only comes about six months after they announced that they're going to to build a, hydrogen, a similar project, but a bit smaller in Egypt, both for hydrogen export towards um, Europe. And we all know that Europe has a target of uh, domestic production of 10 um, million tons by 2030 
plus an import target of another 10 million tons. And the imports are, are mainly looking at, at African countries. Um, so I thought it was, it was it's, it's interesting how Europe and pretty much everybody else is underestimating the potential electrolysis capacity they can install up until 2030. And linking back to what you said about the largest, us having the largest solar forecast, we're probably going to have the largest hydrogen forecast as well. Yeah. So how much more hydrogen do you believe that these North African countries can produce for Europe in the forthcoming hydrogen forecast? Well, I think I think Africa has a lot of potential. Just looking at my numbers, 2030 Africa will hold somewhere around 50 gigawatts of electrolysis capacity. Maybe more, but let's just call it 50 which with some quick calculations 50 gigawatts would give out just 4 million tons of um of hydrogen per year but that's that's because i'm 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 essentially saying that europe will realize in the next couple of years that he has better potential of of making hydrogen domestically than importing it and it's going to shift its focus on domestic production and installing electrolyzers in, in Europe instead of signing deals for import from, from Africa. Well, you get control in Africa. You don't have regulations and permitting issues, and you have plenty of sun. You have plenty of irradiation, so you, you get a low price. All you need is one pipeline. You, you mentioned Egypt as well. I've, I've spoken to a couple of developers and investors in the uh, Suez Canal mm-hmm. project. I think it's pretty big in uh, and well well advanced as well. I mean, they're, they're really serious. I wonder if, if that has a um, a big impact. Yeah, I mean, the Suez, we, we covered that before. I think it was maybe some, some 50 billion that was last calculated investment. There's definitely a lot of potential in Africa, but I think it's, I mean, the, the point I was trying to make with the article is that did Europe maybe underestimate its own potential and it's just panicking and it's looking... Well, hold on. Where, where, where do you see it being built out in Europe? Spain and Portugal? Spain, Portugal, France, Italy. France, France is so committed to the nuclear agenda that although it is pushing it to, to grow its its power from solar, it's, they are, it's far less hungry for projects than uh, perhaps Spain is. Yeah, but at the same time, France and Spain have the biggest electrolyzer project to date announced, not installed which is a huge 32.5 gigawatt project that really encompasses a plethora of projects, uh, but it's under the same umbrella. So, and even if, even if they advocate for nuclear, I mean, pink hydrogen can be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think we've agreed that pink hydrogen is not um, the, um, the kind of uh, um, stupid idea that a lot of people are casting it as Hydro- uh, nuclear has to, um, have times of day when it's producing and it's not turning down and it needs to do something with that energy and it discounts it into the market at the moment. So why not why not make hydrogen with it? I, I think I think we've all agreed that that will definitely happen. And the largest nuclear uh, installations in Europe by far are in France. Okay, you're saying that over time, Europe will make a lot of this itself so that the, the African, um, the cost of African hydrogen, it might be produced much more cheaply in Africa, but at the same time, because of the import and the transport of hydrogen into Europe, it may not um, undercut European-produced hydrogen. 
Yeah, essentially. And I, I still think that there will be a degree of imports. I'm not saying there won't be imports at all, um, especially if you look at the Nordic countries, which are dependent on wind scaling up. If, if wind is not going to scale up fast enough, then it might be easier for them to just import it from, from Africa and pay the transportation costs until they scale up their renewable capacity. Um, but I just think overall, there's there's more to this story than than just the target of okay we're gonna make 10 million tons domestically and we're gonna import 10 million tons. I think that 50-50 ratio is going to be more like 75-25 to to give some ballpark figures. So so you're you're suggesting so mine in my instant impression would be yeah it's going to be more like 75% imported and 25% manufactured internally you're saying the opposite of that because all of the activity that we heard early on um, just over a year ago were deals that are being struck with african countries to do this in africa and you're saying that the estimates are perhaps are just a bit skewed towards africa and should it should be the other way yeah essentially Okay, well let's let's monitor that and let's, let's see if that, that comes about because um, I think you know the land and the, the uh, labour is far more expensive in Europe. But on the other hand, the cost of transporting hydrogen is quite a mystery, and it's often a situation where eighty percent of the price you pay at the pump, or you will one day pay at the pump for hydrogen, may be in transport costs, not in the. That's true. That's true. Okay. Simon, have you got anything for us from the um, from the rest of the issue? Yes, I was intrigued to to read about um, about well ke chemicals and materials, I mean, and we, we seem to be um, focusing a lot on you know my tiny uh, uh, components of that. Anyway, um, about tin prices, and I didn't understand why we're we're writing about tin. What what? What significance has tin for the renewable energy market? That was me. So tin okay. is used to produce soft solder, which is used okay. in the production of electronics. Ah. Tin prices have shot up since Myanmar have decided that they're going to stop exporting and stop producing from their tin mines, which supply a mammoth amount of tin to China. Ah. I don't have the exact numbers on hand, but it's about 40% of China's tin imports. It's a very, very large amount, and that threatens electronics industries, which threatens the renewable industry, really, yeah, as opposed to okay. just everything. I, I'm amused to see that it's the Wa state, which is like a Mandarin-speaking statelet within Burma. Of, of I guess they speak like <laughs> Chinese. And you, if you look at them on a map, they have one blob on the eastern border with China, but then they have a second little area that's next to um, northern Thailand. And um, they actually conquered the southern part uh, later on and, and then just resettled it. And I think they started growing drugs there. Very funny place to read about. Um, <laughs> not that. So I wonder why they're cancelling mining exploration. I don't think they're actually in a conflict with the um, federal government. <laughs> yeah, it does seem strange. And, um, and isn't uh, tin used, isn't uh, in solar in solar panels? Uh, I would imagine so. I haven't really heard it mentioned as a significant cost component, though. Anyway, they're right next to China, so uh, which which makes batteries and other things. So I think the Chinese are going to stick their noses in and tell them to start mining again. 
if they don't I, I would want think so, because, I mean, you can either, as China, say, oh, look, our neighbour isn't giving us any more tin. We're going to have to go out to the to the global market <laughs> and pay a lot more for our tin, or we could bully them, which, which will be <laughs> I'm going to do a bit more research into it over the weekend and uh, just look more into tin markets in general. So I might have an update on that next week. Okay. Uh, any others, Simon? Well, um, let's have a look at there's quite a lot going on in the EV um, uh, market. So, to, Connor, what, what do you think is the, the most significant thing in, in EVs this week? Well, there was the Shanghai Auto Show, which okay. um, was very significant. Something that I didn't put in the worth noting because it was announced Wednesday afternoon was that <laughs> CATL has came out with yet another new battery type. Okay. This is after the last year of LMFP being kind of lauded as the next successor to lithium-ion phosphate batteries, and then M3P to be the next successor to lithium-ion phosphate batteries. But this is separate from this, and CATL are claiming 500 watt-hours per kilogram at the cell level for this. And they refuse to tell anybody exactly what type of battery it is, except that it's not solid state and it's not semi-solid state. The only thing that we know is that the electrolyte is biomimetic, which means that it is mimicking what is found in nature, which isn't useful at all. <laughs> and we just need to wait and see, because CATL has found yet another route forward when it comes to the battery industry, and they refuse to tell mm. us what it is until they put it in the car. So, okay. Yeah, what, Watch this space. One story said said it's uh, some kind of adaptive mesh structure at the, at the cathode that's um, that's making it all far more um, reactive, and they're calling it a condensed battery. Um, yes, exactly. But, but uh, absolutely, we know that if anyone hits five hundred watt hours per kilogram, that's double today's density. I mean, people suggesting that that's going to be used in aeroplanes. Of course it would be. But there are so many suggestions of technology, promising technologies that are going to hit one day, they're going to top out at 500, that sometime in the next three to four years, that's going to happen. And uh, it will scale incredibly aggressively. Um, what, what's odd is all of the gigafactories out there now would be, they wouldn't be redundant because the, the, that kind of technology would come in at a higher price and, and take all the um, the high density applications over slowly over a three or four year time frame. But God, it'd be another race to the line to build factory after factory after factory. I just want to mention uh, this uh, my third crucible article because I'll just I won't describe it in much detail. But I, I did a lot of digging, did a lot of research on the prices and what's what for that. And my, my conclusion is that just as polysilicon falls uh, to 28% of module cost, used to be higher, used to be up to 40%, uh, the crucible is now, I believe, 3.7%. Um, it, it's rising quite rapidly. Just mm, thought I'd want to. up from? Uh, well, back Great. in 2021, it was up from probably 0.1%, <laughs> basically nothing. <laughs> but yes, it's... It is injuries when you find something is going to adversely affect the prices that our customers are going to have to pay. Um, you, you should be delighted when it's, when, it, when you can see that, that being over rather than <laughs> Well, it means I have something to write about. <laughs> That's this show. It is true. Um, but at the same time, it's certainly not going to, 
cause the same kind of price rises as polysilicon. As polysilicon goes the other way, the net effect will be down, not up. Yeah, yeah. I thought all journalists are happy when something horrible happens. <laughs> yeah, but analysts are not. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, look, all these stories and more are on the weekly analysis. It is a paid service now. If you want to go to weekly to rethinkresearch.biz, click energy. You'll be on the weekly analysis page. You'll be able to see the first six lines of each story. If you want a trial, you can ask Simon for a trial. Send him an email, simon at rethinkresearch.biz, and he'll give you access for one or two issues for you to evaluate towards purchasing. Uh, it's not an expensive product, but it is a vital one. That's, that's it from us for another week. We'll come back uh, on the podcast next week with some more exciting stories. Thank you. <laughs>